Welcome to Virtuoso, your story and sound Shangri-La. Entertaining stories that enhance your well-beingness and well-being. Please welcome your host, Trevor Joran. Well, this is an exciting episode because I talk about the link between the sound of music and the ability to be yourself. I talk about the career of Barbara Streisand and not giving up on your dreams. And I talk about the fabulous Roberta Haas, and we discuss how stepping outside the box rewards. Here's what you can expect in this episode. We'll have a quick mindful moment to bring us together. Today's focus is appreciation. Then, at the four-minute mark, I'll talk about the story behind the Oscar-sweeping Sound of Music, film and play. Next, I'll talk a little bit about the wine I'm sipping in this episode, which features our home away from home, Frog's Leap in Rutherford, Napa Valley. Then we'll have the sound portion at 16 and a half minutes, where I talk about the number one woman in show business, Barbara Streisand's career. Following that, we'll spin the globe and learn about a new location. This time, it's Polynesia. And next, at 28 and a half minutes, I'll interview Roberta Haas, and we will discuss our friendship. Note, if you only want to listen to the interview for the Friends of Roberta, you can play that segment alone by going to the excerpt episode, which features just our conversation. And lastly, we'll have our concluding segment with the pennies and pounds notes. Enjoy the show! So for this mindful moment, I would like to focus on the theme of appreciation. And I would like to give adequate acknowledgement for the someone or something that is on your mind right now. While we are familiar with appreciation, it may seem as if this experience can be fleeting. However, the notes of appreciation can lead to more connection and presence in our life. So let's muse over what we're grateful for. In through the nose, and out through the mouth flows the breath. As you breathe out through your mouth, just gently close your eyes. Don't worry if the mind is thinking, just let the mind think and recognize that the mind wanders. Note when this happens, and then gently return to your breath. Come in, and out. Rather than becoming your feelings and emotions, just take note of them, and come back to the moment of appreciation. All right, now that we're all together, let's bring the energy up and get the show started.
The Sound of Music, in a short summary, is an award-winning musical probably best known as a 1965 drama film produced and directed by Robert Wise, written by Ernest Lehman, starring Julie Andrews. Now, the film won five Oscars for Best Picture, Director, Music, Editing, and Sound Mixing. Truly swept the Oscars. It also won numerous awards from the Directors Guild, the Golden Globes, and the Writers Guild. Now, the film is an adaptation of the 1959 stage musical of the same name, composed by Richard Rodgers and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein. Rodgers and Hammerstein were a dynamic duo who initiated what is considered the golden age of musical theater throughout the 40s and 50s. They reworked the musical theater genres, taking shows that were usually whimsical and elevating them to more thought-provoking themes and developed plots. They had a magical touch of synergizing dance and drama, story and sound. By November 1956, The Sound of Music had become the highest grossing film of all time, surpassing Gone with the Wind, and held that distinction for five years. Truly a box office and critical success. I think the meaningful message behind this musical is Now let's get on to the meaningful message. So this musical is based on the memoir written by Maria von Trapp in 1949 about her journey as a governess to seven cute children. She brings light and love to a traditionally firm military family through music and becomes the warm and necessary support system for the naval officer and his family as they lose their land to the Nazis as a result of World War II. Maria's demeanor causes some concern among her abbey of nuns. Her youthful enthusiasm and lack of discipline lead the head nun to believe that she'd be happier outside of the abbey and sends her off to be the governess to the naval captain named George. Well, her life turns upside down and she sings, I have confidence. The lyrics, I think, can apply to all of us here when we are going through change in our lives. Some of the lyrics go like this. What will this day be like, I wonder? What will my future be, I wonder? If it could be so exciting to be out in the world, to be free. My heart should be wildly rejoicing. Oh, what's the matter with me? I've always longed for adventure, to do the things I've never dared. Now here I am facing adventure. Then why am I so scared? A captain to seven children? What's so fearsome about that? Oh, I must stop these doubts, all these worries, the courage to serve them with reliance, face my mistakes without defiance, show them I am worthy, and while I show them, I'll show me. So let them bring on their problems. I'll do better than my best. I have confidence that they'll put me to the test, but I'll make them see that I have confidence in me. And she will need that confidence because at first the children are quite misbehaved. See Maria's response with kindness and patience in turn, the children come to respect and enjoy her. She takes them around Salzburg and shows them the joy of play and teaches them to sing. The captain, upon returning from Vienna, who has been raising his children with strict discipline, is quite displeased with the way Maria's handling his kids. 
He orders that Maria return to the abbey, but as he hears her singing coming from inside the house and sees the children running after her, his heart takes a turn and he joins them for the first time in years. Afterwards, he apologizes to Maria and asks her to stay. And I think the lesson here is about being unapologetically yourself. And that when you are yourself, acting from your greatest innate strength, others, if they are meant to, will begin to appreciate that. It reminds me of the doctor quote. This reminds me of the Dr. Seuss quote, who says that those who matter don't mind, and those who mind don't matter. On to the enlightened excerpt. Sticking to the theme of being who you are, at one point Maria laments to the head nun. She says, I can't seem to stop singing wherever I am, and what's worse, I can't seem to stop saying those things, anything and everything I think and feel. And Mother Abbess responds brilliantly. She says, well, my dear, some people will call that honesty. And I think that's just excellent. And we will see that Maria grows to be unapologetically herself and it works out to benefit her life. And Sister Margareta speaks to this in other words when she says, after all, the wool from the black sheep is just as warm. Two other songs I would like to speak to because I think they have excellent messages are the numbers My Favorite Things and Climb Every Mountain, both written by Rogers and Hammerstein. Here is a small portion of the lyrics from My Favorite Things. Girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes, snowflakes that stay on my nose and eyelashes, silver white winters that melt into springs, these are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad. I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> I think this is a message that we can all take to heart when we're feeling down. So what are some of your favorite things? The songwriter spoke to how they felt the metaphors in this next song fitted Maria's quest for her spiritual compass. Climb Every Mountain, one of my favorite pieces, is a strongly inspirational piece, encouraging people to attain their dreams. It goes, Climb every mountain and ford every stream. Follow every rainbow till you find your dream. A dream that will need all the love you can give. Every day of your life for as long as you live. I think that this is a great song, and the lyrics give me the opportunity to invite you to recall what your dreams are. So the clever concept here in this film is that behind this film is how the president of the 20th Century Fox hired Lehman to adapt the stage play to screen. When transposing the film, in order to emphasize the action and mood with the camera, the writer reworked Do Re Mi from an originally stagnant number to an extremely lively montage showcasing the locations of Salzburg and the Austrian Alps as well as the bond forming between the children and Maria. And interestingly, The Sound of Music opened in over 260 theaters across different countries, becoming the first American movie to be completely dubbed both dialogue and music in foreign languages. Now, onto the brilliant blemish or fabulous flaw. Depending on which way you look at it, this could be a blemish or brilliance. 
But Rodgers and Hammerstein have often been criticized for using the technique of a formula in order to design their shows. They often had very predictable plots, and typically there is casting of specific roles including a strong baritone lead, a light and dainty soprano, supporting leads of tenor and alto voices. Now, with this foundation of every single play, I wonder, you know, I ask if you find something that works, why change it? Uh, copy genius. Don't create mediocrity. They know it works. Is it really a blemish that they're repeating it? I mean, and, and I find that most of what comes out of Hollywood today is based on a formula. And this is because it works. There's the adage that says, give me the same thing, just different. So I invite you to ponder that. One other interesting thing to note is that a former Nazi officer, Herbert Rankitker, I, I can't really pronounce the German, was hired to assist writing the play. That's not to overshadow the fact that he was a prolific novelist and probably had a great deal of knowledge and experience which helped to assist the accuracy of the story. But really guys, a Nazi? Also, the play received a quite mixed bag of reviews, including a New York Times column which said that it was romantic nonsense, and the children's roles were artificial. The New York Herald Tribune dismissed the movie as icky-sticky. The producer and director said that the East Coast basically destroyed them. But the local trades gave great reviews, and they described the film in the Los Angeles Times as three hours of visual and vocal brilliance. I will leave it up to you to make up your own mind. Whereas the movie shows us, when we tap into who we unapologetically are, great things can happen. In today's Culinary Corner, I am opening one of my very favorite bottles from one of the most special places in mine and Roberta's heart when it comes to the Napa Valley. See, Frog's Leap is a home away from home. In fact, the general manager, Jonah, has actually come up to visit our valley in the islands. And Nick, the club concierge, takes care of us every single time we stop by. What I love most about Frog's Leap is their place is comfortable. Whether it's sipping playful rosé in the blooming gardens or musing over the intricacies of Cabernet by the fire in the winter, a certain warmth is always present. I also love that they've been supporting healthy vines through organic practices since the late 80s which makes me happy to have a cellar with multiple bottles from the 90s. I actually have a bottle for my brother's birthdays, for my birthday, the turn of the century. The philosophy behind John Williams' winemaking style is to keep things balanced, restrained, and to respect the terroir. And that certainly shows. I mean, these cabs coming from this winery exhibit the classic dusty profile, which is the heart of Rutherford. 
Considered in the middle of the Napa Valley, the soil here has a gravelly, sandy, and shattered sandstone trait that shines in the wine. And I am sipping a cab from 99 today, and its tremendous profile of black fruits and dust is singing on my palate. Magnificent job. Barbara Streisand. In short summary, in a career spanning six decades, Barbara is the epitome of show business. She is one of a very exclusive group of Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony winners. She's been awarded over two Academies, ten Grammys, two Peabody's, and nine Golden Globes. She always dreamed of becoming an actress, but it was her voice that really got her start. After a decade of successful singing in the 1960s, she finally broke into film. Her breakout role in the acclaimed Funny Girl won the Academy and Golden Globe. Her film career continued to blossom in 1963 with the release of Yentl. She became the first woman to write, produce, direct, and star in a major studio film, winning the Oscar for the best score, and becoming the first and only woman ever to win the Golden Globe for director. However, back to her angel-esque voice. She is the best-selling female artist of all time, and her first album made the top 10 and won three Grammys. At the age of 64 and one tour, she grossed over 93 million and set house-grossing records in 14 of the 16 arenas that she played. Ladies and gentlemen, this girl is the epitome of show business. I think the meaningful message from her career is that you got to go after what you want because you might just get it. See, Barbara was born in Brooklyn in the early 40s to Jewish parents, the mother a hobbyist soprano singer and the father a teacher. However, she experienced a loss early on. Her father died at age 34 from complications due to a seizure and from that moment on, the mother working as a low-paid bookkeeper, really struggled to keep the little family afloat. Barbara Streisand says that those early days she felt like an outcast and that it was real tough because she, she felt that everybody else's father came home from work at the end of the day, but hers didn't. Her mother really struggled to provide her daughter with the attention that she needed when all of her focus was on keeping food on the table. Barbara was quoted saying, you know, I always wanted to be somebody, to be famous, you know, get out of Brooklyn. Barbara got her first stage experience at a PGA assembly. Can you believe that? When she knocked it out of the ballpark to everyone except her very critical mother. Despite her mother's pleas that she stay out of the show business, Barbara hit the city trying to get on the stage wherever she could. The very first few years were hard for her, and at age 16, she was living on her own, and she had very little to her name, not even a permanent address, and often found herself returning to home, to her small little flat, where her mother would cook her a warm meal. But she went by instinct. She said, I don't worry about experience. She would grace this and that stage, but her first real role, when she was asked to join the Bonsoir nightclub for $125 a week was when she became exposed 
to a collection of female singers, including Billie Holiday and Ida Piaf. Being around other great talented women was an excellent way for her to develop and find her own style. And at this point in her career, she recognized that it may be best to gain her chops in recognition as a singer and then transition into film. Her first role in the New York stage was singing solos at a satirical comedy, which received terrible reviews and closed the next day. See, guys, this is a lesson right here. It's never just, bam, you get it out of the gate. Because look at Barbara's career right now. She just she just failed. She just had a terrible review in the satirical comedy. However, on the bright side, this is when she had the manager, Martin Ehrlichman, help her get a few gigs and eventually land her at the Blue Angel in Manhattan, where she started to take off. Martin, her manager, stayed with her for the next 50 years. An enlightened excerpt is that, you know, Barbara was quoted at one point saying that, art does not exist only to entertain, but also challenge one to think, to provoke, even to disturb in a constant search for truth. And funny thing is, around the time that I was born in 93, Streisand was dating a much younger tennis champion named Andre Agassi, who later wrote in his autobiography, so what if she's 28 years older than me? We're simpatico, and the public cry only adds to the spice of our connection. It makes our friendship feel forbidden, taboo, another piece of my overall rebellion. Dating Barbara Streisand is like wearing hot lava. <laughs> oh, I can relate. So, the clever concept behind Miss Barbara, I think, lies in her artistry, which is a brilliant blend. You know, what she does is she applies the blue ocean strategy, like a business strategy, where she differentiates herself rather than being only a singer or only an actor or only a comedian. She is a woman that has the brilliant blend of all three. And she discovered that her Brooklyn style of humor was well-received and she refined her conversational ability to charm the audiences between her singing, which could be compared to the likes of Judy Garland and Fanny Bryce. You know, she had the ability, the innate ability to keep rhythm and meaning between song and speech. Barbara sings to us in a mezzo-soprano voice, which has incredible dynamic, and she can be both intimate and soft, and the next minute be both powerful and loud. Her voice is somewhat operatic for a pop singer, with her ability to belt out notes and hold a quality of tone. She has a rolling vibrato and a distinct Brooklyn nasal quality to her voice. I think, you know, it's kind of funny. Looking at her career and trying to find her flaw is challenging. But there was one moment where she was walking onto the stage to get an award, and she tripped over herself. See, guys, it can happen to the very best of us. Anyway, thank you for listening to my little excerpt about Barbara. She is an inspiration to me, and I think that anyone in show business would say that she is one of the best alive. So thank you, Barbara, for gracing us with your amazing talent.
In today's global segment, I spun the globe, closed my eyes, and placed my finger in Polynesia. Polynesia is a section of Oceania which consists of over 1,000 small islands scattered over a great, expansive ocean. The largest country is New Zealand, and the Hawaiian Islands, where I live, is included in the Polynesian Triangle, forming the northern vertex. The indigenous people shared similar traits of language, family, culture, and belief. Historically, the cultures have a strong tradition of sailing using the stars. The term Polynesia was first used in 1756 by French writer Charles de Brosses, originally applied to all the islands of the Pacific. The Polynesian people are considered to be a subset of the sea-migrating Austronesian people, with their roots tracing back to ultimately Taiwan. As they grew further and further from Taiwan, they began to give up rice production, which required large agricultural plots, and replaced their diets with things like sweet potatoes and breadfruit, and they also fished as their main source of protein. The Polynesians have two distinct culture groups, the East and the West. The culture of the West is more like what we are used to, with strong institutions, governments, and monetary systems. One interesting thing I found when doing some research about their culture is that they often had a marriage system where the men would marry in and move in with the wives' families. The Eastern Polynesians is more likely to settle into groups of small islands and atolls, like the Cook Islands and Tahiti. Leaders throughout Polynesia were often chosen based on hereditary bloodline. However, Samoa had a system that favors hereditary but also real-world skills. This is known as Fa Amati. Being a high-status individual or one of the high-status family, basically guarantees that you have food and shelter. Otherwise, it can be quite a struggle for you to sustain yourself. Frequent famines and poisoned crop as a result of tropical storms would often lead to warring over various land. So among being a warrior, other skills that were highly developed and prized in these cultures were farming, fishing, predicting the weather, and navigating the oceans. As well as being great navigators, Polynesians tended to have great artistry and would make use of simple objects such as fish hooks to be manufactured for the exact standards of different catches. If they weren't used for fishing, then they were used for decoration. As it is still evidence today, weaving is a strong part of the culture and gifting woven articles is often highly regarded. Body decoration and jewelry is of an international standard even today. The religious attributions of Polynesians were common over the whole entire Pacific region. While there are some differences in their spoken languages, they largely have the same explanation for the creation of the earth and sky, for the gods and the rules and the aspects of life, for the religious practices of everyday people. Beginning in the 1820s, large numbers of missionaries worked in the islands, converting many groups to Christianity. I can see the effects of these missionaries on this island even today as some of the greatest grants are given in the family names of those who sailed from the Americas and Europe to the Polynesias in early days.
Aloha. Welcome, Roberta Haas. I am so glad to have you on my show today. You know more than anyone how much work has gone into this podcast. And to have you as a guest in the very first season is a true honor. Because in my mind, you are one of the most dynamic individuals I have ever come across. Not only have you had multiple successes in entrepreneurship and a variety of industries from real estate to children's books, but also you have built a masterpiece of a home in the middle of a thousand acres in the very reaches of the Hawaiian Islands. And yeah, there's just a lot of things. You're bright and beautiful and there's a lot of things I appreciate about you. So I can't wait to introduce you to my audience and pick your brain about a few things today. So my first question for you is, what is one treasured memory that you have had over this past year? Well, first, I must say that was quite an intro, and I am honored to be on the show. One thing that I can remember so vividly about last year was an incredible journey we embarked upon through the Middle East, which now seems like an impossible task. (laughs) However, I wanted others to know that once the cruising industry comes back, that it's not just for older people, it's for people of all ages who value education and excitement and adventure and traveling outside of their comfort zone. Mm, There are not words to express the elevated consciousness that I derived from going on that trip. And it made it all the more enjoyable having such an incredible guide as I had with you. Oh, thank you. Well, you were my guide in many ways as well. And so was that book that we embarked upon called The Silk Roads. What a fantastic read. And that definitely inspired that trip around the world from Hawaii to Hawaii in the last quarter of 2019 before COVID hit. And goodness, it does seem like an impossible task to be able to see that much of the world ever again, or at least not for the near future, unfortunately. My next question is closer to home. Okay. It's about our journey as writers. And we have had a significant uh, amount of time put into storytelling over the last three years as we've been design partners and writing partners for this play about your late husband's life. So I'm curious if you can share with me what you have learned about storytelling since we started writing together. Well, I learned that storytelling is very easy. You know a story and you tell someone about it. But story writing is yet another task in and of itself. Not so easy. Filled with all kinds of guidelines and rules and formatting and just um, challenges you to the max. You have done a superb job in helping that effort in the way you've approached it by going into your master class, <laughs> your, 
you just enrolled yourself for the last year and a half by reading all the great books on what they found to be the easy road to making a perfect screenplay. And you were able to follow a lot of their rules. And I think as a result, five rewrites that we've gone through now have gotten better and better with each one. And we are probably now just about ready to say, okay, this is a great story and we've told it to the best of our ability and the rest is up to Hollywood. We'll see how it's received. And luckily we have our three mentors there rooting for us and ready to take it over. And once it leaves our hands, uh, we'll be going on another cruise and waiting to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness there are gurus out there who are willing to write down what they know so that students such as myself can come along the path and have it be a little bit brighter than it would have been otherwise. And yes, you know, I owe a lot of my knowledge to those friends of ours over there and the books that they guided me towards. So thank goodness we have them. My next question for you is, what is something that you are glad you never have to do again? Aha. Well, in between careers, leaving San Francisco and a very uh, successful business called Creative Counseling for um, through the 60s, which was an amazing time to be in San Francisco, and packing up a 10-month-old baby and selling the business and moving to Kauai, we soon found that money doesn't last forever and if you're building a house and trying to start a new life and a new business which was the spiritual adventures of courtney flower and off to japan we went for a year to do the publication which was extremely costly landed my daughter and i at the time she was six in our remodeled and improved tool shed on the property for a year with no electricity, no running water inside the cabin and having to uh, brush our teeth, wash our hair, take a bath in the fresh ice cold mountain stream that runs right by the side of our property. So I don't wow. think want to do that again in that fashion, but <laughs> I am very happy sure. I'm still living by that stream only after 18 years finishing the house that you and I now live in. And it is a masterpiece of a home. And speaking to that story you've gone on in your life, Aristotle would be very proud. He, he deemed the perfect play to be the reversal of fortune from happiness to misery. <laughs> and I, I was, think <laughs> I was kind of depressed a lot of that year but you know mm. I started a real estate company and it took my attention and my you know gave me a lot of entertainment from all the people that were coming to the island then and and I you know grew to love it but not being in the shed <laughs> yes um your real estate career has 
given you quite a name on this island. And I think back to the beginning of your career, you had an interesting first client or a couple first clients, didn't you? Our first client, oddly enough, I had a girlfriend whose husband was in Hollywood and he brought Sylvester Stallone to my office and he ended up buying three pieces of magnificent five acre parcels, uh, one for himself, one for his lawyer and one for his business manager. And that was quite interesting, just interacting with him and his people and watching uh, how he conducts himself in a personal level. Then there was mm. Crosby, Stills and Nash. And then there was um, Pierce Brosnan, who Gordon became extremely friendly with. And off to Tahiti, we went with he and his wife and the four of us spent a week down there together. Changed my life, seeing how the other side of uh, society lives. Fame. Uh huh. What fame does, and you know the pros and cons. I don't recommend it for most people. Actually, I don't think I would like to be famous like that. Even though I was um, a teenager, thinking how intriguing being famous would be, but it is not at all what it seems to be. It's a big, intrusive, um, and inconvenient undertaking to just go out on the street mm, mm, very true but one thing i want to say about the shack living in that shack yeah i had a choice and uh, this is something everyone might like to think about i did have a choice i could have at any moment gotten on a plane with courtney and flew back to miami beach where i grew up and moved in with my mom for a while while things got better but something kept me here and I just wasn't willing to throw in the towel and give up. Didn't want to leave after a while. So moral of the story is that if you ever find yourself in a situation that's adverse, just give it some time because the universe puts us in those positions for a reason. And it's Absolutely. up to us to um, acknowledge that and let those universal forces uh, speak loud and clear so then we can make the right decisions and not hmm. only rely on ourselves. Hmm. Yes, in terms of building characters and plots and screenplays, one of the major lessons that I learned is that conflict has to be ever-present and through this conflict and these challenges is what enables the growth of the character and that's the reason that we go to see the films is because we want to see characters grow you know, they all change. And it's important to be able to recognize ourselves in these characters and then see how they move through situations and get better as a result of their, their tough situations. And I think that happened for you. So I think the question for my friends and family and early listeners, what they're really wondering about is, what is it like to have a relationship with someone who is much younger? Well, I find it to be a huge insight for both. The younger gains tremendous awareness and an education that might have otherwise taken years to obtain, not to mention the contacts to help further themselves. 
Oh, that is very true. I mean, I run into some fascinating and interesting people who I likely never would meet if it wasn't for you. Well, that's the fun part to watch you grow and uh, learn from these people and have them to look up to. And they love to share what they know with you. Everyone loves you. You're a very old soul in a young body, you know. <laughs> and I'm the opposite. I'm a such a young spirited soul in a slightly older body. I always think of myself as I'm still in my 30s. I feel mm. that way you know, health-wise as well. And I can keep up with you, even running on the beach. That's true. You certainly can. <laughs> so um, anyway, I love the way Jane Fonda... Uh, calls it in her book about the first act merging with the third act. So much to be gained by both. And I feel like the clock is ticking counterclockwise. I'm going into the youthfulness of the younger generation and learning so much, even things about the computer <laughs> that I couldn't do. <laughs> You've been great. You're so brilliant at that. There's just so many huge benefits, and the two need to be spiritually and emotionally aligned in order for it to work. Seeing eye to eye, as we do, sets an example to others who perhaps might miss out on something really unique and special if they're just bound by the restrictions or the mores and not venturing outside the box. Oh, that's a great point. You know, I think stepping outside of the box has plentiful rewards. And I'm excited to start that little wine label with you called Outside the Box if we can get the uh, copyright approval. Oh, I'm sure we will because it's meant to be. With your experience and knowledge of wine, it's, you know, it's just a joy and so educational for me. I can't wait for that project. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, um, I just love our network of friends. They're all so understanding and loving towards you and us. And they see our happiness. And it's so much fun traveling the world. We have lightheartedness. We're healthy. We're happy. We see eye to eye with respect and with loving kindness. So what could be wrong? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that, you know, people are quite bound by the societal restrictions and that can be damaging to one's spirit. You know, if you are operating from a point of, you know, concern about what other people think, I, I feel like you are limited in what you can achieve in this life. That's so true because the relationship after all is between the inner soul, the inner spirits, the inner selves. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I do. I get that completely. In my mind, it's like perfect puzzle pieces fitting together. We bring things to the table that enhance the lives of the other. And I think there is tremendous rewards when you are willing to step outside of the box, you know, make your own rules. Yes, and because those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation with you today. Thank you so much for joining me and Thank helping you. me get a start here. It's my pleasure. Aloha. 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 
In today's Pennies and Pounds, I'd like to talk about how we define success and happiness. Because knowing these answers will help to give us a roadmap and act as a magnet to attract the right lessons and opportunities into our lives. Whatever stage of life we are at, I think I think we can benefit from considering how we answer this now, how we answer this then, how we will answer this in the future. Carl Jung says that your vision will become clear only when you can look into your own heart. Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakens. So tap into what resonates, and although data is useful, it is our gut that really has the ultimate impact. So consider for yourself, what are your ultimate goals in terms of lifestyle, income, and impact? And for the pounds, you may wonder, why are all these people practicing yoga? For me, after studying in India for a great deal of time, I think if I had to answer this in one word, it would be refreshment. In our modern world characterized by stress and pollution, it is no wonder that we are all looking for practices which can enhance our awareness and encourage our relaxation. Yoga also has additional benefits because the movements and postures, they massage the internal organs, they enhance the blood circulation, they reduce the risk of illness, they balance our hormones, they stimulate our nervous system, and they help eliminate our toxins. So yoga can replenish the mind and the body with this precious energy needed to respond to the daily challenges that life throws at us. Well, in conclusion, to my listeners, I want to thank you for spending this time with me. It's hard work putting these shows together, but knowing that you are out there being engaged, entertained, and enhanced by the Virtuoso Show makes it all worth it to me. I'm glad that we are able to spend time together every few weeks. If you love what I'm doing and you want to support me, please go to treversthoughts.com and sign up for my email. Alternatively, you can shoot me a quick message at muse at treversthoughts.com. That's M-U-S-E, like the Greek muses. I'll send you an email back and we can begin our relationship from there. The next show is coming out on the 18th of October. If you like what you heard today and don't want to miss the next episode, I recommend that you sign up for my newsletter, as I will be reminding you there. Thanks again, and I look forward to our next show together.